This is the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I'm your host, Kat Bean Hansen. Welcome. We're glad you're here. This week's message was originally given on January 30th, 2022. Pastor Emma Peterson delivers a message, How to Make a Friend, Confronting the Loneliness Epidemic While Forming Deeper Connections. In October of 2019, long before any of us knew anything about this pandemic world we are still living in, I delivered a sermon that discussed, among other things, the loneliness epidemic. It was around this time that experts in social human behavior first began to declare our modern era as the loneliest in human history. Experts were clear on how loneliness impacts individual quality of life. Essentially, chronic loneliness leads to increased production of cortisol, the stress hormone, and this overabundance of cortisol wreaks havoc on our physical and mental functioning. Chronic loneliness is associated with increased rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide, according to the CDC. When loneliness is combined with other serious health conditions, the increase to negative health outcomes skyrockets. And it gets worse. Social social isolation is associated with a 50% increase likelihood of a person developing dementia. The absence of meaningful social relationships is associated with a 29% higher risk of heart disease and a 32% higher risk of stroke. It is ironic to me that the cultural buzz surrounding the risks of social isolation began before COVID-19 so dramatically shifted our day-to-day lives. It's as if we were just beginning to wake up to the fact that our separations from one another was causing us harm. And then millions of us were forced to part with the shared goal of mutual protection. Experts seemed less inclined to offer explanations for why we are so socially isolated. There were lots of vague references to increased use of technology, but as I'll share a bit later on in this sermon, I don't entirely buy that explanation. My own theories center mostly around the way our modern culture has discouraged us away from community building. There are fewer and fewer spaces these days where people can form organic connections that grow into strong social bonds. Consider, for example, this recent cultural warfare surrounding libraries. I think a lot of the hubbub about banning books with attempts to portray librarians as radicals who want to indoctrinate our children, which don't get me wrong, is a travesty and we must resist it. But I think it's actually also an attempt to snuff out one of the last places or perhaps the last place in this country where a person can simply exist without having to pay an entry fee or purchase something. 
Libraries are places where disenfranchised folks can go to seek out resources. We provide enriching program for children, and we can expand our knowledge base. And all of that is very threatening to an elite who profits off our suppression. Houses of faith also, especially small congregations like ours, along with libraries, are also dying. Churches, synagogues, meeting houses, and mosques are the last surviving truly intergenerational spaces. Houses of faith where people can come together and form beloved community often interweave the fight for social justice into their theology, and that makes those communities just as threatening to the status quo as the free and unrestricted access to the written word. People are lonely in large part because there are fewer and fewer places where people can simply be together. In February for Valentine's Day, I'll offer a sermon on the way the insistence that the nuclear family is the only culturally acceptable construct of family harms us. I have a strong inclination that this cultural expectation is also contributing to our loneliness, but that's a message for another day. Vivek Murthy is our United States Surgeon General. In the spring of 2020, he released a book entitled Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. Murphy traces the human history of collaboration, noting that since the beginning of our evolution, we have relied on one another not only to survive, but to thrive. From gathering and hunting food, to caring for children, to offering one another entertainment and camaraderie around the campfire, human beings have always needed each other. Vivek says, even though our circumstances have changed dramatically, our nervous system is still very similar to what it was thousands of years ago. When we are separated from other people, we enter that stress phase as a signal for us to seek out connections. And if not attended to, it can cause damage in the same way that hunger or thirst can if not attended to. Do you often feel lonely? Do you often feel like you face all of your troubles alone because there is no one to listen to you or hold you up when you feel like you can't stand on your own? Do you often tell yourself you're the only person who feels this way and everyone else is hanging out without you? If so, I need you to hear how common a feeling this is. Experts have declared a loneliness epidemic for a reason. Kristen Radke wrote in her book, Seek You, A Journey Through American Loneliness. Loneliness is often exacerbated by a perception that one is lonely while everyone else is connected. It's, an exa it's exaggerated by a sensation of being outside of something that others seem to be in on a family, a couple, a friendship, a joke. Perhaps now we can learn how flawed that kind of thinking is because loneliness is one of the most universal things a person can feel. 
Our yearning for connection is as universal as the pain we feel when we are disconnected. Even at your loneliness, perhaps you are never alone because so many people feel the exact same thing. The first part of the title of this sermon is how to make a friend, because I do think it is a very common adult experience to struggle forming connections. There's a reason there are so many Twitter jokes and memes about trying to make friends as a grown-up. Gone are the days when we had a pool of potential friends all around us, like we did in grade school or college. Now, I have to warn you now, though you already know, that I am a deeply extroverted person. For some reason, I didn't get the same dose of self-consciousness when it comes to making friends that many other folks seem to have. Growing up, my family's primary summer activity was camping trips, and I loved camping. I loved cooking over campfires and the brightness of the stars at night and the critters we might encounter scampering across the campsite. But I loved camping most of all because it was a prime opportunity for making friends. I have distinct memories of arriving at a campsite working as a family to set up the tent in the outdoor kitchen, and then rushing off to make a friend. I would walk all around the campground looking for another girl who was roughly my age, and once I found her, I would make my approach. My technique was very simple, and it almost never failed. I would introduce myself, and I would ask if she wanted to play with me. Now, I also have memories of making a friend and then introducing that friend to my family and then that friend introducing my family to their family and then all of us spending time together at the campsite. So you form one connection and then often it ripples out into other connections. One of those friends, uh, actually for years and years and years after we had met at Little River State Park, her family still sent us Christmas cards. So just goes to show you. There is a very important rule about making friends, and that is that if the person I asked to be my friend declined or maybe said they would be my friend, but then they weren't very nice to me, they made fun of me or kind of cut me down, I felt that pretty quickly and I recognized that I didn't actually want to be friends with that person anyway. A good rule of making friends is to only make friends with people who are kind and open-hearted. I have no time for frenemies. An interesting note about only being friends with people who actually like you, uh, people actually like us a lot more than we think they do. Jillian Sandstorm is a senior lecturer in psychology at the University of Essex in the United Kingdom. And she has done a lot of research on something called the liking gap. The liking gap is that little voice in your head. And we've talked quite a bit about the little voice in your head and how troublesome it can be telling you that somebody doesn't like you. That voice is very much wrong and you shouldn't listen to it. Other people are just as eager for connection as you are. 
And if you think someone doesn't like you, it might do you some good to kind of check in on that. Is that coming from my own internal monologue and my self-worth, or is it really coming from the way that this person treats and interacts with me? Because more likely than not, people are just as eager to connect and they're going to be thrilled that someone else is being brave and reaching out. So when you make friends, you've got to breathe through the nerves and allow yourself to be vulnerable. I know I'm an extrovert and you're an introvert, and this likely sounds deeply unpleasant, if not downright impossible. That's one of the reasons that narrowing in on your hobbies and seeking out folks who also like those things, like knitting or board games or cross-country skiing, can really help. Devin Price is a social psychologist and author who was first diagnosed with autism in his late 20s. Up until that point, he had had a terribly awkward uh, and difficult time making friends, in large part because he'd been conditioned to believe that he was weird and unlikable. And honestly, I think a lot of us are conditioned to believe that, whether from our own mean internal monologues, from uncomfortable social moments in our early and grade school childhoods, or from the messaging we got from our families of origin. For Devin, a huge part of learning to make friends came when he revealed from when he came when he revealed to the world all of the strange quirks he'd been hiding for so long his nerdy hobbies or fascinations or odd sense of humor were actually the reasons many people wanted to be his friend. Authenticity is a remarkably important thing when it comes to forming connections. Be who you are, and you're much more likely to find your people. You need to realize too that deep connections don't form overnight. Lasting relationships take time and energy and consistency, but they're worth it. And don't fool yourself into thinking you can only make friends live and in person. Since March of 2020, I've had to shift a lot of my connection building to virtual spaces. This is the part where I reject the experts in 2019 claiming that technology was the primary reason for our loneliness. Don't get me wrong, social media, yes, can be very harmful, especially if you're prone to comparing your own life to the lives that people share online. Because remember, the stuff that people post on Facebook is very rarely the whole picture. If you think someone has it all together because of what they post and it makes you feel badly about your own life, try to remember this. But there are definitely opportunities to form connections online. Over the last two years, I've made a lot of new internet friends. Some are colleagues in ministry whom I've yet to meet in person, but who have offered me invaluable support as I continue to navigate how to be a minister in a time of pandemic. I've made other friends and other Facebook groups who I've come to consider very important to me, even if we have yet to meet in real life. Fun fact, I first met Kate, our new CCRE, in a Facebook group. We first bonded over our shared disdain of certain characters in the queer Christmas movie, Happiest Season, 
And now we're resurrecting the CVUU's RE program together. Online friends count as real life friends. So don't fool yourself into thinking those connections can't become deep and meaningful friendships. Friends are the people who sustain us through difficulty, who celebrate with us in joyful times, who are there to mark the everyday mundanity of life. And it is our friends who offer us perspective in the marking of time. I believe truly that the most powerful force in life is our connections to one another. To be truly deeply known by another person and to be known in return. To be accepted as we are and to accept another person as they are. To be loved and liked and to offer the same in return is perhaps the meaning of life. Simple. We keep the friends we have by staying in touch, by reaching out with a note if they live far away, by making plans to spend time together, by listening. That sounds simple, but I really think that listening and helping when you can is about 85% of being a good friend. By sharing your insights and your own life struggles, being a good friend means giving of yourself, and I'm not only speaking about time. I'm speaking about the difficult but imperative work of vulnerability. Brene Brown writes extensively about the practice of vulnerability as the essential component of connection. Brown defines vulnerability as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. She writes, vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaning spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. Forging relationships and sustaining them requires us to be deeply vulnerable. Vulnerable about our emotional needs, our boundaries, our desires, and hopes and shortcomings. Deep friendship requires us to be willing to, to, to traverse path, parts of ourselves we've long kept locked up. To take the risk of exposing our deepest fears about our own self-worth to another person and to ask them to dispel those fears by loving us in the ways only our dearest friends can. Reaching out in an offer of friendship feels like a big risk, but the experience of authentic, lasting friendship is amongst life's greatest rewards. The first simmerings of this sermon began in a membership and marketing meeting. This committee, and please let us know if you would like to join us, is deeply concerned with the health of the social life at the CBUU. We want this beloved community to be a place where people feel comfortable seeking out deeper connections to one another, where our shared values provide a foundation for building strong, lifelong friendships. In this particular meeting, we were expressing our concerns about the way the COVID-19 pandemic has stunted the continued building of this community and how our continued distance from one another has hurt both the church itself and our members. 
We speculated together about what we might do as a committee to address this problem. In the end, we determined that the best thing the CVUU can do is to encourage, to encourage connections is to continue to provide opportunities for those connections to form. For over two years now, that's meant gathering online. We've had opportunities to get together in person, like the mixer we had in mid-December, or the wonderful outdoor music service in October. And we, contend, we hope to continue to gather together in person whenever possible. But I want to encourage you to continue to work towards forming connections online as well. If there's someone you would like to grow closer to, invite them over for coffee or a glass of wine or arrange a Zoom date. Be brave and willingly vulnerable and build those relationships. And as long as the CVUU persists, we will continue to provide opportunities to confront the loneliness epidemic and form deeper connections. Our relationships to one another is the backbone of this community. And so let's continue to build them. May it be so because we make it so. Amen and blessed be. This has been the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists. The music is by Nathan Moore. If you want to learn more about the CVUU, visit our website at www.cedarvalleyuu.org. And you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Cedar Valley UU. We welcome visitors to attend our online services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you'd like to learn more about joining us for a service, send us an email at cvuupodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.